0: I know there's some uh, still getting their stuff, and that's just fine. If you'd uh, like to get more, feel free to to do that. We're going to go ahead and get things started here. Um, just want to uh, mention a couple, uh, couple things. Again, thanks so much for coming. Uh, we do know it's a little bit cold in here. Uh, the heat is not working as it should. We're uh, going uh, to get things fixed. So... Um, Thanks for coming out. Uh, some of the kids have already discovered what's going on over here, but we do have some stuff for kids, some Play-Doh. Uh, there's a coloring uh, thing over there as well for, for kids. Uh, Pastor Matt put printed out some activity sheets, and uh, and uh, those are kind of in the back table over there by, by Kendrick. So, so you're welcome, welcome to those, and uh, parents may understand if you need to get up and and uh, you know if there's if there's uh, trouble going on over there, there's no shame at all, and if you need to throw a kid outside for a while, that's okay too. And so, um, okay, well, before we get started, just wanna just wanna give a couple a uh, couple of housekeeping things. First off, thank you, thank you, thank you. We got a lot of great questions. Um, and it was a little slow at first, but as as we as we've gotten closer to the event, uh, the more they have they have been coming in. so, thank you so much for the questions, a lot of great ones. Uh, we do want you to know that we're going to attempt to answer as many as we can. Um, but uh, but doing this is really you know as, as fun quote unquote as it is. This really helps us as pastors get a little bit of an insight into what. What's, uh, what's on your mind, what concerns you have, what confuses you, what, uh, what causes, um, what causes uh, a case for curiosity as well. Um, we also understand with this, uh, especially, some of these questions you could give a long, long time to, we're just not going to be able to give tons of time to each, uh, each question. We know that sometimes answering a question can breed more questions. And so while this isn't set up for us to have a back and forth, uh, all three of us welcome, welcome questions afterwards uh, to come up and talk to us uh, to get things clarified. Another thing is we we'll let you know we wanna, we're going to answer these questions from the Bible. And so when it says stuff to pastors, this is not this is not show off show off our, our brains or anything like that. We want to go to the Word of God and give you answers uh, based on the Word of God. Which means on some questions or on um, on any question, if the Bible does not give a direct answer either explicitly or implicitly, uh, then neither will we. And uh, we know there's there's been questions that are, are matters of conscience and we'll get to those uh, as well. So so we're gonna jump in here and start asking questions and my and my first one is to Pastor Matt, who doesn't want me to do this. This is this is not on script. And so I figured what better way to start <laughs> than to, wow. to do this. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Pastor Matt, I got home uh, after church and and Cohen, my son, he wanted to know what your favorite color of motorcycle is. You <laughs> should have gave me time to prepare for this. Uh, I would have to say
1: black, Matt black. Okay. Not like Matt M A T T T. Okay. Good question, Cohen. Go
0: he wasn't listening,
1: he wasn't listening at all. <laughs> oh, and I answered your question.
0: What? <laughs> Black. For the motorcycle? Okay. <laughs> okay. The uh, rest Yeah. Um, another, another question that was submitted, just by interest, another one to get started is, uh, I mentioned at one time I was interested in studying apologetics, Somebody asked me to explain the difference between apologetics and eschatology, and very simply, eschatology is the study of the eschatos, the end times, whereas apologetics is to give a defense for the faith, and so those may overlap, but apologetics is to give a defense for the faith, eschatology is is the study of the end times. And the question was asked, where do, Kyle and Matt, I kind of mentioned apologetics, is there any particular interests that, where your interests fall, with? I... I'm particularly interested, at least at the
2: moment, uh, in something we would call biblical theology. That's not biblical as opposed to Quranic theology or something like that, but the, the study of how the themes of the Bible are developed throughout the scriptures, um, for example, how the theme of sacrifice begins in Genesis and it's expanded and stuff like that. Uh, throughout the rest of the revealed scripture. So, that's something I'm particularly interested in at the moment. Uh, generally, it's more or less with
1: teenagers, and they have always a variety of people that they're trying to share the gospel with, and how to share the gospel with this type of friend who believes this thing, and this friend who grew up in a church that doesn't go anymore, and this friend who does go to this church, and how do you share the gospel with those different types of, how do you answer those questions with, when they're at school with People believe all sorts of things, and so I enjoy hearing from them who they're interacting with, um, as they interact with a lot more insane people than I do. And so it's, it's always good to help them and you know, help myself even you know, think through you know, how would
0: you respond in that way that chick has.
1: Okay, yeah. Well, let's,
0: uh, Matt, we'll stick with you. Um, we had a question that was submitted Is the Old Testament important? Is it okay to just read the Apostle Paul? So take that wherever you ask. Yes. Yeah, the old testament is extremely
1: important. Uh, imagine dropping into any book or movie halfway through. It might still be good, but you're like, who's that character? Why are they doing that? Why are they saying that the Darth Vader and just dropped in with spoiler alert, he says, Luke, you're my son, and you're like, okay. Oh, uh, Hold on, direct quote. I I That's wasn't going thing. for a direct quote. Said like he said. Anyways, my point being, you you are thou art the son of mine is what he said exactly. Um, sorry. So anyways, you're like you don't really care a whole lot because you don't know who this Darth guy is, you don't know who this Luke guy is. you are like okay, that's interesting. Um, and it's good, but you don't understand that full context of how major that was. Uh, so the same thing is true with scripture, getting the full context of. All of what God has revealed in his word to us, he gave us the Old Testament for a reason so that we can know him and how he's been faithful to his people. all along. All the works of God which are just wonderful. And even Paul in Romans 1 talks about the works of God and talks about the Old Testament. You can't have Paul's testimony and what he talks about so much with the law and circumcision if you don't know what that is in the Old Testament. So you have to have that even to understand the Apostle Paul, in his writings. Um, so he gave us the Old Testament, his revealed word to us, and we can't skip over that at all. Even Paul said in uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is bringed out by God, and it's inspired and is profitable for teaching and for correction, training righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so even he recognizes that you need the Old Testament in order all of scripture to be uh, in order to understand who God is and why this gospel is important. You just read Paul, you might just have who Jesus is, too. Like when he talks about being saved and coming to Christ, it's like, Well, who is this if you only read the Apostle Paul? What did Jesus do? So, yes, you need to read all the old testament, uh, not just the Apostle Paul, but yes, a lot of good stuff, so read it.
0: Okay, we had a question come in um, uh, about um, Halloween. You know, we're approaching Halloween, and so a uh, question about Halloween and Christmas and Santa Claus and Easter and Easter egg hunts and, you know, kind of the, the, the pagan roots and all these things and, and where where Christians should fall when it comes to our participation in, uh, in such things. Um, um, and so... I think first I have to understand is much of much of what goes on in our world is rooted in paganism. Uh, it, it, today is Sunday. Sunday, the day Sunday is rooted in paganism. It's rooted in the worship of the sun. We have Thursday, which many of you may know is, is uh, rooted in Thor's day, uh, the god of thunder, Thor. Um, and uh, Christmas was a pagan holiday celebrating the birth of the sun. Easter was originally a pagan holiday uh, celebrating the rebirth of spring and rebirth of you know everything coming out of the ground. Halloween, of course, uh, is a is a pagan is a pagan that uh, has pagan roots as well um, with uh, the old the old Celtic thing where they would dress up to scare off ghosts. And then you have eventually All Saints Day, and now we have you know today where. For the majority of people today to go out and get candy, and today to, you know, carve uh, pumpkins, today to, to dress up in costumes that nobody will ever see because you have to wear a coat anyways. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, so, so, you know, when it comes to Christmas, and you have Santa Claus, you have Easter, Easter egg hunts, uh, these would all fall in, in, in I think, a, a theme you might hear throughout. In, in Romans 14, actually, you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Paul is actually talking about uh, the weaker and stronger brother. There's was, there was a, there a brother in Christ who in his in his weak conscience it, it says he, he didn't think you he he should eat meat sacrificed to idols. And then he talks to the guy with a stronger conscience who understood that, listen, God is the only God, so even if the meat was sacrificed to idols and these false gods, there's really no such thing as false gods anyway. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8 that if the weaker brother sees the stronger brother eating in the temple... And he's go- I, just, I don't think you get any more any closer to than that. I mean, there 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 were there were Christians in the early church going to the to the to the to the temple restaurant and eating at the idolaters' temple restaurant, and Paul says, you know, it's 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 not really wrong uh, because. Uh, because uh, we know that gods, those false gods, aren't gods at all. And then in Romans 14, the idea there that you know our our consciences should be uh, mastered and ruled by the Lord. So when it comes to that, that whole spectrum, um, you know, I, I, the the two things I would say to that is is uh, whatever you decide to do before the Lord, uh, you need to you need to be careful not to harm your relationship with other believers. As with Paul, you often hear the phrase stumbling block. I think that's really the question. And really the question would be, what is this? We won't go there uh, uh, right now. And, then, and the other the other thing I would say is, when it comes to the Romans 14, be careful about doing anything that goes against your conscience. Do not train yourself to go against your conscience. That is a very dangerous, dangerous place to be. So if your conscience says no, don't do it. Uh, but if your, if your conscience is free before the Lord to, to partake, then uh, go for it. So... Um, I have a whole other argument about about Santa Claus maybe being more pagan than Halloween, but I'm not going to go there right now. So, uh, just, did. I just uh, <laughs> it. Yeah, and train your conscience to think good, too.
1: Yeah, so yeah now it's wicked, yeah. Could, yeah. So I don't know what the scripture is saying. Sometimes you are be like, ah, I just don't like it, so it's bad. Like, okay, just go back to the word scripture. Is that what, it's, is that what God's word is convicting you of as to why you have that conviction? So.
0: Okay, so Matthew, and then Kyle, a question for you. Um, so we have a question. With those who have been cremated, they've had their ashes spread over the ocean or their favorite place or whatever, how will they be gathered to go to heaven at Jesus' return? It's
1: like a, a tough question to answer because we don't know exactly how God is going to do that. I was reading, trying to find some things online about this, and I read some articles of how God um, is using his power to not to, to not allow a saints' bodies to even decompose in the first place. And that was their reasoning for how they could then wrap their minds around how God will then raise their bodies. And I'm like, well that's just as much amazing miracle power as God gathering up the ashes of somebody's bodies or decomposed bodies or somebody's body who was, you know, lost at sea or whatever it might be. Um, so, really, the simple answer is they're going to be gathered up by the power of God. First uh, Thessalonians 4.16 is the famous rapture chapter, I hope teens know that one, First um, 1 Thessalonians 4, and it says, the dead Christ will rise first, and so that's what they're referring to there. Uh, so, it's important to know that, that even though God has given us his completed word, um, and he has told us everything that he wants us to know for life and godliness, from 2 Peter uh, one three. It doesn't mean that he has told us everything, and, and so that's sometimes hard for us. But we want to know the things that we don't know, and so sometimes God's word doesn't tell us all the things. Um, and so we need to trust in God with that. Um, John chapter twenty verse 31, thirty one. That 31, that says that Jesus did a lot of other signs and miracles that aren't written in this book that we don't know about. Um, and then John twenty one twenty five says there are other things Jesus did were one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. And so we have this understanding: okay, hey, we don't have everything that happened, but we do have everything that we need for life and godliness. Um, Genesis twelve one. Remember when God told Abraham, He says, "Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you." Abraham didn't have all of the information. God said, all right, pick up and head out. I'm sure Abraham could have asked a ton of questions. Where are we going? What route do I take? What stuff should I bring with me? What stuff should I leave behind? There's so many things that he probably wanted to know, but it says that he, uh, verse 4, that Abraham went as the Lord told him. So it's a matter of faith, believing that God is going to do what he said he's going to do. Um. So, I know I'm taking a long time on this, maybe around about too, but beyond just the uh, cremation and how does God do that, but also understanding what we have in Scripture. Just trust that God's going to do what He said He's going to do. Um, with this, marvel at the power of God to be able to do what He said He's going to do. Think of all the Christians who have died over all the years. Um, where are all their bodies and decomposing and all of that? Just marvel at how God said he's going to raise up the dead in Christ, and that's going to be amazing. And then rest, knowing that you don't need to know all the things and how all the things are going to happen. So there's a level of curiosity that we should strive for and search the word for There's also a level at which we might need to say, well, God's word doesn't tell me specifically and that I'm good with that, that God, you know, wants to keep this one, this a mystery to us. All right, praise the Lord, marvel at what God has revealed
0: that's good. Um, okay, Kyle, excuse you in on the game here. Um, okay, there's a question. What is dispensationalism and is CBC dispensationalist? Uh, short answer to the second question
2: is CBC dispensationalist. Generally, yes, that's what we would teach. Uh, it's not a requirement to be a part of our church necessarily, uh, but helpful to understand what we mean by that. So here's a definition from one of the proto-dispensationalists himself, Charles Ryrie, he describes dispensationalism this way, dispensationalism views the world as a household run by God. In his household, God is dispensing or administering his affairs according to his own will and in various stages of revelation in the passage of time. The, The key thing there is understanding that God has managed the world differently as time has gone on. And sometimes that's misunderstood to me. He offered salvation differently in the past, specifically the Old Testament, and we have a different way of salvation now. That's not what's meant by that, uh, but understanding that as God has progressed through time, he's revealed different things and had different expectations of people. For example... Uh, We've been going through the book of Genesis, many of you have been in the APF class. Adam and Eve had a specific standard that was set for how they responded to God. They had one rule. What was it? Don't eat of that one tree, right? That's what God expected of them. That's different than what was later when God revealed the full Mosaic law to the people of Israel. God didn't change his moral code, but he revealed more things and... The people of Israel were held to a a more specific standard than Adam and Eve were. Um, A key distinction is really between the Old Testament and the New Testament when it comes to that. We read in Romans chapter 6 where Paul says, you're not under law, Old Testament, but now you're under grace. And living under grace changes expectations of us. And a fundamental distinction of that is the difference between Israel and the church. What God expected of Israel in the Old Testament as a chosen people, but also as a nation state, is different than what he expects of the church-age believer to do, because we don't populate one nation state. We are transnational. We're a body of Christ that exists in all the different nations. Uh, and so we don't have the same expectations about how to implement laws that order society because, because we're, not, we're not a law-keeping or law-legislating organization. That, that shows up in our eschatology. Pastor Zag mentioned that earlier. Eschatology, what we believe about the end times. You know, is the church going to be raptured? Uh, what's the future role of Israel? Who's going to be to blame? Things like that. But it really bears on us now about how we understand Old Testament commandments, um, we don't have to implement the specific commandments to Old Testament Israel about how to make laws and how to keep track of all of these things that they had to in their nation states. And that you see that really showing up we talked about a little bit maybe after this summer about how we create justice in a society. And that's different for us in the church age than in the Old Testament. Another specific, this kind of ties to another question we were asked, made another example that plays out. One of the questions was how did Noah know what animals were clean and what animals were unclean? That's a really good question. Um, and uh, another principle that is, is uh, involved here is the fact, uh, we already brought it up, not everything that is revealed uh, is written down in Scripture. Um, you mentioned not all of Jesus' miracles written down in scripture. Not everything that Adam and Eve heard from God is written down in scripture. Uh, so we understand that as time went on somewhere in the progression of time from Adam and Eve to Noah there, there may have been something that God revealed about the need for clean and unclean animals. We, we do see the pattern of sacrifice being required. Adam and Eve, to cover their sin, there was a sacrifice required. We see Abel then offering sacrifices. We read about Job offering sacrifices. Uh, And then Noah is commanded to have these animals on the ark. It's possible even that God revealed to Noah what were clean and unclean animals just based on what animals showed up at the ark. That might have been the instance of that revelation occurring. Uh, As we read in Genesis chapter 6 that the animals were brought to Noah. And there would be two of the unclean and seven of the clean. And that may have been how God revealed that. Maybe he did another way as well, as he was revealing all the details about how to build the Ark and other things like that. Um, but that is, uh, that's awesome. it's possibly how Noah knew that. That
0: was good. I'm proud of you. You know, you could have run with that for the rest of the night. <laughs> I could have. i was trying to be shorter than that. That was good. Well, that was really good. No, I have not know that. That was good. You like to know more, you agree as <laughs> And by the way, if there are any like questions that are any, what? Not coming soon. Not coming soon. Yeah. <laughs> if there are any questions that these spur on in your mind that are just killing it, you, dying to know, I'm um, you write them down and give them to us. We may do a video pastor roundtable just to clarify anything later. So, Pastor um, uh, Matt. Okay. So we have a question. At what point is a Christian author slash teacher a false teacher? Do they have to believe everything we believe at CBC? So, they don't have to believe everything we believe at CDC um, in
1: order to be a a true teacher. So, they don't teach everything that we teach. It doesn't automatically make uh, somebody a false teacher. We have different churches um, that believe different things, and that doesn't necessarily mean that it is false, uh, that they are a false teacher. Um, I asked these guys a little help with this, and they said it was a good idea to talk about a little bit the difference between a false teacher and false teaching. so it has got me to think, and I told the kids this, this morning um, with, when I was uh, in Cedarville, and I had to teach a lesson to the, my class. I just came off a mission trip, and I wanted to talk about all the things I learned on the mission trip, and so I would I grab some scripture to throw into what I wanted to talk about for my mission trip, and as I presented it to the class, they lovingly and graciously slapped me upside the head biblically saying, that's out of context, and you said that out of context, and that was not not what that pastor was talking about, and I was like, oh, man. I I gave false teaching in that class, and they corrected me, and it was very humbling um, to do that (laughs) in front of a group of people who are allowed to share their thoughts about it. Um, So, it was a false teaching, but I don't think I would be classified as a false teacher. A false teacher would be somebody who's preaching a different gospel. Uh, as you have from Galatians 1, uh, 2 Peter 2, 1 Timothy 6, Matthew 7, Jude 1, many others talk about these false teachers. Many times it says that they creep in, they sneak into a church, wanting to, to bring people away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, so we have to be on guard against that. We have to watch out for those. And again, um, and we'll talk about that in a second, but. Um, you got to think through some of the other people. We have uh, books on our shelf and books that we encourage you to read uh, by some individuals that don't agree with us on everything uh, that we would teach here, but they're good books that are helpful to you in, your, in what they talk about, and even some books that you might not necessarily agree with all the time, too, and, and that's okay to have that discernment of going back to the Word and saying, do I know what I believe is what they're saying according to God's word, and we encourage that whenever we teach or preach, is that testing always always against the word. That's why we're using the Bible a lot. That's why we're using Scripture a lot when we teach to say, is this what the Bible is talking about? Acts um, 17, the Bereans examined the Scripture daily to see if these things were so. We encourage you to do that as well as you go home and say, okay, what is the Scripture saying? Did you read books as you see Christian authors on TV or on YouTube. Um, they're everywhere, you can get them at the, your fingertips. And so you need to be extremely cautious of who you're listening to and why you're listening to them. And are they using the word correctly? Are, you know, you go through um, some, just some thinking on your own, don't just say, wow, there's a lot of people there, you must be right. Um, if they are on Good Morning America or in Oprah's favorite books or whatever, that might be a hint that they're not um, correct. Um, Because John 15, 19 is very clear that if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So our culture and world is saying, ooh, yeah, you should read this good Christian book. It should get your antennas up a little bit. I'm saying, hmm, why is that person who rebels against God saying, that's a good book? It might not be teaching the Bible accurately with that. And one last thing, just kind of a oh no, I have a few last things. Um Genesis, or no, that's the next question. Good. Um Stuart Scott, kind of an interesting thing. Uh we talked about the ACBC conference. He was asked to give a um, an answer, a biblical counseling answer to a, a problem that they had, and if they asked four or five other Christian counselors to give their response to how would you counsel an individual like this? And they gave him like a worst case scenario type of situation. And so he told us at the end of it he said there was only one chapter that actually shared the gospel. But of all the Christian counselors, out of all their chapters they had to answer these problems. Only one of them shared the gospel and that was his chapter. And he said there were 180 some Bible references. He said I had 150 some in my chapter. So it doesn't necessarily mean that those were false teachers that were trying to answer these questions, but bringing up how we need to be discerning and knowing, are you, are these Christian people, Christian counselors, Christian authors, are they teaching the word of God? That's what we have to go back to, is it accurate according to God's word. That's where you know you can trust
0: Okay, yeah, I yeah, keep going on the next one. Yeah, you mentioned Genesis 3.22. We had a question. Um, who does the us refer to when it says, and the Lord God said, You all, the man has become as one of us, and then I'll be quick on this one. Um, it's the same us that's referring
1: to in Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 26, when God says, Let us make man our image. It's talking about the Trinity God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and so it's that same us.
0: Good. Okay, uh, Kyle, and then I'm going to jump back in here. I don't know everybody's just dying to hear me, but here uh, anyway, I got a couple more for you. And this one, this one, this one was uh, yeah, this was a good one. Uh, the question: of What makes a cuss word a cuss word? And what verses are used to argue the simpleness of the use of a particular word? Is the use of a word simpler or not, depending on the cultural context? If vulgarity is the issue, who what decides if it is vulgar? Yes, I think this might be my, my favorite question.
2: Same, same. <laughs> uh, before I answer, though, I just want to comment. I like how many of the questions that we you received seem to be tied to things you were just talking about in ADF. And I, I like it. We're not get, getting through everything, obviously, in ABF, but stirring up thoughts and, and making you think about Scripture. And hopefully, hopefully, we're starting to answer or helping you figure out where God's word is. Which one of you is testing in ABF? <laughs> Yeah, so for example, don't say it is there, it's not expensive. Um, words, yes. In short, I'd say it is a largely culturally defined issue. Uh, there are no scriptures that say this is a bad word and this is a good word. What the scripture does say? Uh, Colossians 3, we must not put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk, obscene talk, Ephesians chapter 4, let no corrupting talk out of your mouths, and in chapter 5, let there no be filthiness, or foolish talk, or crude joking. So, Scripture is pointing out some of these categories of seen things, the word vulgar was in the question, something that's off-color, or even rude, and Scripture warns us about being rude, love is not rude. Um, in First Corinthians 13. Uh, so it, it is culturally defined what is rude, whether it's words or even actions. You've probably heard, maybe you've been in a place where something culturally seems rude. Um, it's generally rude in our culture to belch in public, but in other places it's considered a, a kindness or a compliment to belch after a meal. Uh, those are culturally conditioned uh, expressions and the same so, so with our words. Uh, I'm going to say, there's um, a quote from, from John Piper, um, just talking about false teachers, false teachings. We don't agree with John Piper about everything, but he answers some questions like this really well on his podcast, Ask Pastor John. He says, there is no list that is going to work when someone ina- is inappropriately crude or foolish talk uh, or filthiness comes out, but he's saying there is a category of crude, and Christians should not want their language to be crossing those lines. We, we should understand what those expressions mean in our context. Uh, and so he's saying most offensive language is simply contrary to ministering grace and living out grace. So whether it's from sedity, what you're talking about, how you're talking about if you're being rude to the listener, that's opposite of giving grace to those who listen. Now there is a separate category of taking the Lord's name in vain and in our ideology that's kind of lumped together with swear words but that's handled a little differently in scripture it's very clear you shall not take the Lord's name in vain Exodus this chapter 20 um, and in, in the podcast John Piper went on to say that, that um, he expands that even to not just God but the use of the, the name Jesus Christ and also just the words damn and hell because those are true realities uh, of our faith and and, at stake in the gospel. He said, in the same way, using those lightly uh, is demeaning to what Scripture teaches us. And we should be very careful about using those lightly, Um, not as a throwaway expression of irritation or anger. That's actually belittling God, belittling Christ with the seriousness of condemnation, the seriousness
0: of hell. And we want to be careful about that anything uh, man No, no. Um, but, uh, so, okay. So, another question here. might do some picking, because I want to keep an eye on the clock. we got a couple questions that we want to make sure we get to at the end. And so, um, uh, yeah, so, so <laughs> this probably isn't a quick hit, but the question for you is, was the founding of the United States sinful? Because the founding fathers rebelled against the government, God over them. Okay. And then there's also a question about vaccines and whether or not we have the God given right to say no to forced vaccines maybe it all kind of fit in there. Yes. Alright, so in
2: an effort to be brief but helpful. <laughs> Should we find <punt>? well <laughs> cut me off if you think. Let's see. Alright. Two basic principles to consider. Uh, about the specific instance of the, the American Revolution, uh, somewhat an abstract thing, but not necessarily. The two principles to consider: first, one is our default response toward authority should be submission. Romans 13 he tells us be subject to the governing authorities. Uh, 1 Peter 2: be subject to the Lord's sake to every institution, institution, honor an the emperor. And verse 17. Um, there is a scriptural exception to that. We find that in Acts chapter 5, uh, when the apostles say we must obey God rather than men. So our default response to authority should be submission. Whatever authority we find ourselves under it should be a submission. There is the exception in scripture where if we are commanded to do something that is sinful, we are to choose to obey God as opposed to obey man. Um, we, we may imagine that that happens more often than it does, where to obey man is to choose not to obey God. Uh, we, we probably don't find ourselves in that situation as much as we, we might think we do. Um, often we find ourselves in a situation where uh, we are asked to obey a human authority in a way that we don't like or something that we don't agree with, uh, but that's not the same thing as having to choose not to o- obey God. Uh, when it comes to the, oh, there, there is a middle ground in there, and, and different people argue this differently. And, and this is something that you, you should think about. Uh, but the middle ground is uh, when the government itself is sinful, what do you do with it? And, and again, I think we imagine that scenario probably more often than we, that it might be merited. Um, but there is a, a reality that even government or the leaders need to be held to, to justice, held to account. We read in Genesis 9, if, for example, if man spills man's blood, by man his blood shall be spilled. That is true for someone who's in authority, just the same as someone who's not. Uh, and so there, has, uh, there should be a pursuit of people to hold that person to justice. My example of this is obviously uh, it's really easy. Nazi Germany, you have a murderous man in charge of a whole country, and the rest of the world was rightfully attempting to hold him to account to the point they thought he needed to not be in power. And I think that was just a just resistance of government because to hold him to account meant overcoming that whole government. Um, It's not exactly the same scenario when you look at the American Revolution um, that is more on the spectrum towards... um, resisting government uh, out of personal preference and how you understand some of those things. uh, You may come to a different conclusion, uh, but if you read the actual stated Declaration of Independence, they state why they're choosing to rebel. Uh, They use phrases, governments are instituted among men deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Uh, There is a theology on display there that meant government only has a right to rule when we agree to it, and that is a fundamentally flawed idea of government. Governments are not instituted by the consent of the government. They are put in place, Romans 13, by God. But that wrong theology then leads them to think, when we don't like what the government's doing, we can throw off the government. Um, It is the right of the people to alter or abolish it and institute a new government. Um, So there's some misunderstandings there that maybe led to some wrong conclusions. Um, That's a big question, so to say, is right or wrong, is a little bit more nuanced. Uh, I want to bring that, I wanted to, it's more than just an abstract idea, though, because it's something that we should learn from. Um, We should learn for once, for example, it was not the unanimous view of every Christian at the time that it was the right thing to rebel against the government. Uh, There were many preachers who had to flee the colonies because they preached against revolution, they preached against rebellion. Um, Benjamin Franklin's own son was one of those. Um, But it's something we need to think about in our context uh, because there are questions being asked of us and vaccines uh, or mandates are one of them, uh, but we're being asked questions about is this something I don't like? Is this something that I think that I disagree with? Is this something that I think is wrong for them to ask of me? Is this something that's against my conscience? Is this something where I'm being asked to disobey God? And those are all slightly different things. Uh, so it's not a nuance. It's not. A, it's not an easy answer. Uh, we're also being asked questions of who is the authority that you specifically obey. Sometimes there's confusion of who, whether it's your local government or your governor or your federal government, uh, where do you, there's some blurring of lines in there, especially when you think about, you know, when there's those extreme questions being asked or extreme ideas entertained of what happens if there's civil war or cessation or things like that. Um, so these are things that we need to be thinking about. Who, who do we submit to? Um, but the, the, the pursuit is, the default position should be, we should submit and follow the authorities given by God as much as possible. That should be our pursuit. Um, sometimes the American bent is to try to hold on to as many freedoms as possible. Uh, and, and those, uh, that may not always lead us into the type of godliness that First Peter and, and Romans 13 are talking about. Uh, when it comes to vaccine mandates, um, that the question is for you to think about: What is your opposition to it? Is it something you don't like? Is it something that you disagree with their conclusion about? And also, who is asking you to do this? Is it just your employer? Is it a is it a state? Is it a federal government? Those things may may affect some of your conclusions. Is it something that is against my conscience, uh, and as Pastor Matt brought up, uh, sometimes our conscience needs to be informed. Uh, so that needs to be a part of your equation as well. It may be against my conscience, but am I right about that? Um, and, and, and involved with the vaccine, uh, what's it, whether it's content, conscience issue, is all the things. Uh, you know, was this, how was this created? Is it involving aborted uh, fuse parts? And, and that's a major conscience issue for many people. Um, whether or not the government should have the right to say that is not necessarily a conscience issue, um, but sometimes those, those kind of get wrapped up together in, in our minds. And then ultimately is obeying this making me choose not to obey God. If, it, if there's something that comes down to that, then the apostolic example is clear. We must obey God rather than that. Uh, we have to be very careful about saying that some of those situations are exactly exactly that.
0: That's brief enough. Yeah, that was really good. That was really good. Appreciate it. We're gonna we're gonna jump to the uh, final last questions here. We had kind of one of the big questions on God's providence and then uh, one thing we want to touch on before wrapping wrap it up. So um yeah, we're gonna we're gonna skip ahead and have other questions about the line Jesus made alcoholic and and God's Old Testament dealing with people and things like that. A lot of great questions. Apologize for not getting to them, but we need to leave some time for for a couple questions. I did want not to hit one of the big questions because it comes up often, and I don't want to leave uh, I don't want to leave this one hanging. There was a question that came in. that says, "Does God or did God ordain sin? Why or why not? And if how, if not, how does He uh, how does He remain good? Or if He does ordain sin, how how does He uh, remain good?" And when when I was talking to the guys on this one, I said, this one is really easy to answer biblically, really super easy. Does God redeem sin? Yes, he does. Uh, The clear scriptural testimony is that God ordains sin. Uh, You see that time and time again throughout scripture. Genesis 45, uh, where Joseph, uh, or Genesis 50, uh, 45 through 50, where Joseph says, you meant evil against me. But notice he says, he doesn't say God used it for good, he said, but God meant it for good. This was something God meant to do. Um, You can go to Pharaoh, where God says, This is the reason I I raised you up, so I could show my power against you. What was the reason for Pharaoh? And how was God going to show his power unless Pharaoh rebelled? I was uh, in 2 Samuel uh, not long ago, and it was reminded of Absalom. And uh, and here's what 2 Samuel 17 says Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The council of Hushai the Archite is better than the council of Ahithophel. And then here's what it says, for the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. So, what does God doing in there? He's, God is ordaining a, 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 a wicked man, who's wicked in heart, who's giving wicked counsel to be the one that everybody followed. That was God's ordaining. Um, and of course, you go to the cross, Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 4, very clear that everything happened... Uh, according to the predetermined plan of God. And so he says, all these men who crucified Jesus, they were doing exactly what God had ordained. Um, And there's just just so much throughout Scripture. Uh, Isaiah uh, chapter 10 or 11 in there, I think I've used this illustration before. It's the illustration of the Assyrians and how God said that he was going to use the Assyrians to punish the people of Israel. Um, And he says, it's not on your mind to do this. He says, you think you guys are kind of doing your own thing, but God says, it's my hand that's going to use you like a rod to go and punish the people of Israel. Now, it is a sinful thing for the Assyrians. He says they were proud people. That's a sinful thing for them to do. And then God says, I'm going to, and this kind of brings together the other part of the question is, 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 is uh, how does God remain good? Because then God says to the Assyrians, right after that, right after he says, you're going to be my rod of anger against my people, and he says, I'm going to punish you for your arrogance. So is God good? Yeah. Psalm thirty five. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, does uh, does does he ordain sin? Yes, he does. Is he ever accused of wrongdoing? No, he isn't. Are we always, as humans, the ones gonna be responsible for our sin? The answer is absolutely yes. So it's it's easy to answer biblically. But the problem the problem with everybody in here right now is is not the Bible. It's our reasoning, it's our logic. It's trying to figure out. So normally, and this is where things get tense, is because is because then you know someone will raise their hand and kind of put you on the spot and say, "Well, we'll reconcile those few things for me." And it kind of goes back. You know, you said you set the stage pretty well for this. Um, there are things that we that God wants us to know, and there are some things that God uh, doesn't want us to know, um, and uh, 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 we don't need to. Uh, be told how God can govern sin and still be a sinner. I think you get into a lot of issues if, you, if, you, if the God you have is simply responding to sin, like he waits for the sin to happen and he kind of figures out what's going to happen next. Uh, that's what's called open theism, and that's a, that's a wayward doctrine where God loses all control and providence. And so if God is just sitting, sitting around not really sure what's going to happen in your life, but if, if sin happens, or if there's sin in the world, then God kind of decides what He's going to do next. And simply reacting uh, to to sin—that's that's no God at all. Um, yeah, we don't. I, I think it's clear. And and uh, and uh, uh, John Piper wrote a 750-page book on, on God's providence. Uh, where he unfolds a lot of these things. But uh, but but uh, ultimately, the conclusion is you don't need to know how. Um, we don't need to 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 know how those two things work together. We just know that they're there. Uh, after the Wiseman concert um, back in whatever that was, uh, um, I, I preached a message that morning on on God choosing us, and, and someone who was affiliated like wasn't someone in the Wiseman family, but someone came up to me and was asking how how I could possibly believe that God chooses those who are saved before the foundation of the world, and he's trying to reconcile it with. With this reasoning. I said, Yeah. I said, but if you're calling me to explain God to you when it comes to this, I mean you're not gonna get anything out of me. I just I can't. I can tell you what the what the Bible says. But we do know that no one will be judged unjustly. Um, everybody's gonna be punished uh, because they deserve it. And and uh, Romans chapter 9, verse 14 says, Is there injustice on God's part? That's what the question Paul asks. He says, By no means, there's no injustice here. And, uh, and it reminds us of the end of uh, Romans 11. His ways are just unsearchable, and so yeah, we can't reconcile the two. And normally that's when the argument gets heated uh, because we can't reconcile the two in our finite human reasonings. But uh, but uh, but God is in control, and, and he's, he's governing all things, and, and He remains good, and we remain we remain guilty. And uh, that should uh, that should uh, bring us comfort, uh, really um so final final question for the night and we'll, and we'll wrap this up and this is this is intentionally put at the end here because we had a we had a question come in and we could we could uh, we could sense the force um, of one particular question on pastoral leadership and maybe in small groups. Uh, now some of you may have heard that there's a, there was a, a small group going on or a small group that was started up and. And we had a question come in, and, and we've had a couple of people ask about this. So we wanted to kind of close the night with just uh, clarifying a couple things. Um, there, was, yeah, there, was, there was a small group uh, that was going on, and it was put on pause at my request. Um, and uh, asked not to meet until, um, and here's the big news, uh, until we do allow an official small group ministry, which is in the works right now. Um, and for those of you who may have heard, um, there's a couple things going around out there, which is why we want to do some maintenance here, uh, about the nature of that small group that I, that I uh, took the lead on asking to, uh, to not meet until we, until we roll this out. What happened was, very simply, the leadership got some wires crossed as to whether or not starting a small group, um, uh, like we want to roll out eventually, starting one now would be helpful. And just got our wires crossed, and, uh, and so the, the group was asked to pause. Um, and so we do plan on going out small groups uh, in the near future. We're working on how that's going to look right now, and and uh, we're looking to roll out the full ministry in the future. Uh, but one of the reasons we asked to, to to put it, and you know, when I was with the group and, and asking them, I use the word dissolved, and this is where this is where I'm still I'm still learning and growing. I used the word dissolved. I didn't. I didn't think anything of using that word, but really, a couple people came up to me, um, uh, my wife being being one of them, and said that the word dissolved was too strong of a word. And I didn't think it was, but it really was because I wasn't asking the group to just you know never do it again. I was. I was really the, the intention of the word was to, to put a pause on it until we unrolled out the thing. So you know, I, I need to. I need to you know think through words a little bit better as well in all this, but. The Bible says uh, to do all things decently and in order, Um, and ministries need structure, they need organization, they need oversight, and ministries, especially small group ministries, are notorious for sputtering out prematurely, Uh, and so we wanted to make sure that we have the structure in place for this small group ministry to carry on in the church for for many years to come. And... uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, so we just uh, we just wanted to, to hit the pause button on this. Now, one of the current concerns that arose from this was perhaps uh, uh, a message going out that we are, we are saying that people should not meet together in your homes on a Sunday night or the other night. And I want to be very clear. That is not what we're saying. Uh, you, can, you are free to meet in your homes and to do whatever you want with your free time. This was not a church-wide, like, nobody meet together, nobody doing anything together, nobody needed small groups. It was just this very unique, particular, specific situation that like we said, uh, I don't think we're really ready to, to roll this whole thing out, was, uh, and so and so I just want to clear that up. And um, and uh, there's a question on on uh, kind of led into pastoral leadership as well, but I think Hopefully, my message maybe this morning answered some of those questions. I don't think we'll take the time uh, necessarily to go through. Go through all of that, but uh, yeah. So, so that's the big. thing. this is we wanted to end with this because this was kind of our thrust. This is an this is exciting time. We're really looking forward to unrolling uh, small groups here, and uh, and Lord willing, those will be those will be coming next year. I know you're gonna have tons of questions. What it's gonna look like? How's? I mean, we're still working through a lot of those questions, and so we want to have something ready for you that'll that'll be sustained for for the long haul. And uh, and I think that was uh, I think that was that was kind of kind of what we wanted to, to say there. So,
2: can I jump on that just a little bit? Yeah. All right. One of the things that we, we strive to do in, in the how, how we run Church Ministries is that our intent is to build formal, structural ministries that will serve to perpetuate organic unofficial spiritual life and, and ministry and relationships outside of the church. Uh, the hope is not just to just to build and do everything in this building so that you can come and get your staff and then go home. Uh, but to create our ministries in such a way that it, it perpetuates that ministry in your homes and, and things like that. And so our, our goal is for our, our worship services, our, our discipleship classes and eventually our small groups to um, facilitate greater community among you. Not that community can only happen in a small group, but to facilitate more of that happening outside of what we ever plan to do. Um, the fact that that's a weakness that we have is why we want to build a, a small group structure that will serve those ends. Uh, and so, meeting in your home with someone on a regular basis or area right there, so getting together to pray, getting, we want that to happen, and that's why we're doing this. Uh, it was just a specific we're, process of how we're trying to build this to serve those ends.
0: Um, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because that was something we were going to. Yeah, yeah. The purpose. Yeah, our purpose statement, so to speak, is, is from Second Corinthians three eighteen, and it's to cultivate holiness through genuine gospel community. And the reason why we're doing small groups is because God uses people to change people. Small groups are designed to help people engage. In relationships, I help them become more like Christ. James five sixteen and Proverbs twenty seven seventeen. So, so yeah, those are those are kind of things that we're aiming for. A lot of logistics to work out, a lot of details to get ready. But we are we are so stoked to uh, be able to offer that to you. We're going uh, next year sometime. So, okay, um, you guys are good. You guys know anything else you want to add there? Okay. Well, thanks again. We're going to close. I meant to open prayer. We didn't have to do that. So let's close our time in prayer, and then we'll be dismissed. My Father God, we thank you for this uh, time. Thank you for these people. Thank you for their their thoughtful questions, um, the the questions <coughs> that uh, really kind of hit down to where the rubber meets the road. Uh, thank you for their hearts. Thank you for uh, their attendance tonight. Thank you for their attention. And Lord, most of all, we thank you for their word. God, thank you that the three of us don't have to sit up here and try to think of how to you know, answer things according to our own reason, our own wisdom, uh, but Lord, that we can go to your word and bring that to the people. And Lord, you, you do require us to think. I mean, there's some questions where we do need to think about things, but we need to think about them from your word. And I pray that if, if this does anything tonight, that you'll get these, uh, the, the people, our hearts, our minds thinking on your word and thinking about how we make decisions, thinking about how we how we view uh, things going on in our world, thinking about how what we listen to and what we watch, all these things, what activities we partake in. And we've rooted all in, in your word. Uh, Lord God, we give you the glory tonight that uh, we can gather together as believers and uh, brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus. And we pray now, Lord, that uh, you just be uh, with us as we go our separate ways. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, thanks so much for being here. You are free to, uh, to to leave And let's say thank you to all those who brought the Yeah, thank you. And thank you, for I got you. Got to here. I you all for
1: being here. appreciate you helping my
2: friends. Wait a minute. we do need to ask one thing of you before you go. We do need to shift the tables and chairs to be ready for the high team like okay. So if they can stay around and help with that. they Tear some tables down and move some chairs.